Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here for the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. Here with Daryl Slater. The NFL draft just happened, and uh, the Giants' first round went about as well as could be expected to the point where it was so non-controversial and it was so positive that it feels like we're covering a different team now. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Sort of, yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean. Like that. So they got Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Thibodeau or Thibodeau, I'm still trying to figure out the right way to say it. I will figure it out. Um, and Evan Neal at seven. Um, and that, as I've said and written, like if you had told – anyone even at the end of the college football season uh if you had asked anybody at the end of the college football season like who is the most likely to be number one pick like those might have been the top two guys because <laughs> Trayvon Walker wasn't in the discussion yet so um the fact that they ended up with those two guys they're two biggest positions of positions of need for like a long time um you know there's a lot of the noise pre-draft about uh, them not liking Thibodeau which is clearly all fakely leaked to hope he would fall to them and um, it worked out and Evan Neal, I, I think most have him graded as the top tackle in this class. And he's just a, a freak and a physical freak who is the only one out of the three top tackles that had experience at right tackle, which is what they need. Like, I, I think we can, we can, we'll talk about the rest of the draft in a minute, but I, like, I don't think they could have done a better job on that first day. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, part of doing a good job is fortune, you know, good fortune. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at that, you know, the top two probably went about how you'd expect, right? I think, it, it, you know, the Lions ran that pickup for Hutchinson, right, to the point the NFL whined, whined about yeah. it, right? So Walker Hutchinson, no surprise, no surprise. And just, you know, I was in Vegas for the draft, and um, I was out there in the crowd for those first four picks, and I was with a Jets fan for a story I was doing about Jets fans being uh, bitter and angry at at the draft, of course, this, this this draft left them no reason to be bitter and angry. But then Stingley went at three. And it was kind of this audible, like, oh, wow. Like, because then that was the first real domino that people were like, oh, wow, yeah. okay. As we know, I mean, obviously the Giants could have drafted a corner. Um, but then came, you know, then it was like the swing spot there with the Jets. Were they going to tra- take Thibodeau? Were they going to take a corner? Were they going to take a tackle? And as we talked ad nauseum, these two teams had overlapping needs. Uh, and so they take Sauce Gardner. It would have been fascinating to see if Thibodeau had gone four. Would the Giants have taken uh, Gardner at five? Sauce at five, yeah. Would they have taken Evan Neal there, right? Or Aquano? Um, so I think that that's, you know, that they wind up, obviously, Sauce Gardner goes four. For years to come, I mean, potentially, right? You have these two guys in this market, Sauce Gardner and Kayvon Thibodeau, who. Let's be honest. I mean, probably the brashest guys in the draft, two big personalities. And this will be a fascinating look at this for years to come, right? Like who made the, well, did the Jets make the right call passing on Thibodeau really is what it comes down to. Um, so because they obviously had an edge rusher need, they were able to get an edge rusher with Jermaine Johnson. But so, I mean, just on paper looking at this, yeah, the the Giants not only addressed two big needs and in edge and right tackle, but they addressed them in a big way. Um, I don't think you can, Really, if you're a Giant fan, have any major arguments about 
about this draft haul. Um, they didn't, there was no, no major gripes or reaches or anything like that. And, um, you know, now let's see if these guys can play. Yeah. We should talk about Thibodeau a bit. Cause I think he's such an interesting case study or whatever. Um, you know, yeah, there was all this talk pre-draft about his attitude and commitment issues or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the report, a lot of the reports were tied to the Giants, which, I mean, maybe it came from them, maybe it didn't. Um, but there was, like, so many where he had a terrible interview with the Giants. Uh, it was so bad that he stormed out of a dinner. And there was, uh, you know, they there's some people in the front office who, you know, aren't sure about him and, and all this stuff. And then he's sitting there at five, and they take him without even, like, really questioning it because uh in in joe shane, joe shane even admitted he's like we thought the drop off from him to the next edge rusher was significant so we thought we could get one of evan neal and aquanu and we could get him um which like i feel like dave gettleman didn't really think they didn't have two first round picks like this before but i don't mm-hmm. know if you ever thought like okay if, if i do this and this happens kind of thing i think he's just like i like this guy i'm taking him i don't care what anybody says <laughs> uh, but uh i don't know it's, it's like it's like so interesting because um I mean, I, I think an, an underrated part of this is that the scouting staff and the people in the front office, as we learned today, uh, yesterday with Chris Pettit getting fired, um, like a lot of people in this process were not people that Joe Shane hired or that he has any background with. So it, my thought was, and that's why, it, you know, it's hard a lot of times you hear a buzz that like sounds interesting and real um, and you go with it. But interesting about the Giants was that Joe Shane, none of the people in his staff were his hires or his people. So maybe they're the ones leaking it and they don't know his true intentions. So that's why it's possible. A lot of this stuff got out like Charles cross. It was all about how Charles cross was their guy. And then Joe Shane basically said after the draft, like we wanted Evan Neal or Aquanu, like he admitted it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, so had, much of what had, comes out of the draft. I mean, maybe if they're both gone, they would have considered cross. I don't know. But yeah. like, that, but that was another thing that was like they, the giants were clearly, or somebody in the giants was leaking that to a bunch of different people. Um, and then it just wasn't true. So, makes you wonder like how much of it was Joe Shane just maybe even trying to figure out like who is leaking stuff and if he wants to keep them around or you know it's them trying to guess what Joe Shane likes or maybe it's just these scouts saying who they like and not knowing what Joe Shane was going to do because he clearly you know an interesting thing I am again maybe this is because he doesn't have his own scouting staff it really felt like a lot of these this is kind of going on a tangent that doesn't have to do with Thibodeau but um, a lot of his picks it seemed like just like fit the mold of what his coaches wanted like he got they, had, they drafted that 5'8 receiver in the second round who kind of fits the mold of some guys that Dable has coached and that Mike Kafka has coached. And he, he drafted a bunch of defensive players that are really good at blitzing and that are really versatile, which fits what Wink Martindale won. So you, you wonder if he was listening more to his coaches than his scouting staff, at least. And I think that's a good thing. I yeah. mean, I think that's really important. Um, and it reminds me, and, you know, it, it does tie into Thibodeau. I, I think, you know, what you were just saying. Um, and just a quick uh, point on what you were saying before that like i mean obviously a lot of stuff that comes out of the before the draft is total bs either yeah. intentional bs or inadvertent bs like guesswork like what people yeah. within the organization they personally think but guess what they're not making the decision number one or they're trying to guess what the gm thinks but you know that's all irrelevant now but i think looking forward yeah the this reminds me of uh, for these this kind of mini series of stories you and I did uh, uh, late in the season and after the season on the rebuilding process for the Giants, one of the things that uh, someone with one uh, high up in one an NFL team had said, and you talked to this person, is they felt like um, that the coaching staff should have a lot of say in personnel, and I think specifically, if I recall correctly, draft stuff. Yeah. Um, that 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 the coach, you know, the old Bill Belichick, you know. 
Bill Parcells thing about the shopping for the groceries and cooking and whatever the metaphor was, right? <laughs> that you should give your coaching staff as either maybe wholesale decision-making power or at very least significant say, and they should be married up. I mean, it sounds simple, right? It sounds yeah. like you, the GM should pick the players for what the coaching staff wants. I mean, I don't think that's a novel concept, but a lot of teams don't, or at least some teams don't quite get that synergy. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good point that you brought up. I mean, maybe some of these uh, picks, you look at them and perhaps raise your eyebrows and maybe they don't work out, but I don't think you can fault necessarily the process, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and like I, like I wrote I wrote today about what we learned about Joe Sheen, it felt like he was drafting guys to like fit a, a, a type of player that they're looking for. As like what's So maybe they didn't go best player available. They went best player who fits the role that we need him to do. So like Brian Dable wanted a Isaiah McKenzie – uh, Cole Beasley type of wide receivers that they drafted Wondell Robinson and and you know Wink Martindale wanted this he wanted a linebacker that could just blitz every play so he got that dude from Indiana Michael McFadden so like I don't know it, it felt like they were trying to just get prototypes of guys that had certain traits which you know if going with a plan is better than just kind of winging it so um yeah, and you better, uh, you know, you ideally keep your coaching staff for more than two years this time around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to let, yeah. To yeah, let these exactly. players who you drafted for your coaching staff actually play for that coaching yeah. staff. I will say, I think, um, and again, you never know what John Mary might get impatient or whatever, but it really does feel like he's going to give Joe Shane time because, uh, and Dayball, because the, like this, this roster is not a winning roster. I think everybody in the building knows it. They haven't been able to do much. Um, you hit home runs with Thibodeau and Evan Neal. They're going to be the biggest additions of the offseason by a long shot because, you know, their biggest free agent signing was Mark Lewinsky and a backup quarterback. So um, I think they have accepted that they're going to be taking their – I mean, Joe Shane traded back to get two extra picks, so they had 11 rookies coming in, and I, and I would bet that all 11 of them make the team plus undrafted free agents. Like, they, they need to fill out their depth chart pretty intensely right now. Um, and, the, and they're – you know, their biggest moves in terms of, like, their roster that like non-draft related are going to be getting rid of Logan Ryan and eventually getting rid of James Bradbury. So your defense is going to be worse just by that virtue. The secondary looks like a mess. Um, but anyway, I mean, I originally started talking about Tibbo. What, like, what, what do you think? So he is a very like unique personality. He's very confident. Um, I think he said a lot of the right things. I think he's quite smart, honestly. Um, like he's well, very well-spoken and all that. And he's going to be very entertaining for our purposes. But as we've seen with guys, you know, both in New York and in other cities, when they have a big personality, like if they don't back it up, it could go south quickly. Like, what, what do you what what are you looking forward to about the Kayvon Thibodeau tenure? I think it's going to be a journey for everybody. Yeah, and I think, look, I mean, bottom line is in this market, in most markets, but especially here, like if you don't produce, then you know people the adulation goes out the window. But especially if you're the type of person who puts himself out there, you know, personality wise, um, it becomes even more glaring. You know, I think if Kenny, think about if Kenny Galladay had come in, uh, big talking and all that, rather than <laughs> kind of mild mannered and you know, man, that's his personality. He's mild mannered. But if that wasn't his personality, how how much? Obviously, there was a ton of blowback to his lack of production last year. Imagine how much worse it would have been if he was, you know, brash. So, you, you know, look, I mean, you take a risk in this market, especially by being like that. But that's that's just how he's wired, and you can't necessarily expect Kayvon Thibodeau to be any, you know, anyone other than who he is. And it was just kind of it was interesting watching him, um, watching him backstage at the draft compared to you know some of the other prospects. They were. You know, some of these guys' personalities are just kind of level and even, and they were walking from room to room, and and here's Thibodeau kind of doing a little dance. And uh, I mean, Evan Neal's the great contrast to him, I would oh, say. Oh, 100%. Very, very much low-key, even though he's this huge guy with a big voice. He's, like, very unassuming and 
kind of, I mean, he, he is actually, he's like an interesting guy when you talk to him, but um, yeah, it's, it's like the, it's, they're like complete opposite personalities. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have Thibodeau, big city, Los Angeles guy, big talking, um, and, 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 and brash and wearing his sunglasses throughout the whole post draft process. And then you have Neil, uh, quieter country kid from kind of the sticks of Florida and who was wearing these, you know, tinted eyeglasses things, you know, tempered <laughs> eyeglasses in a little more studious looking, uh, quieter. Um, and, and the, the, the fun part is like these two guys with these two different personalities and two really good players, obviously are going to be going against each other a ton in practice. So that will be a cool matchup to watch. And, you know, I think to some of that, to some degree, those practices might be more entertaining than some of the Giants games this year, because this is a big picture season about the future and, and right there every day on the practice field and in camp, you'll see those two guys going against each other, um, in, ter- in terms of the glimpse of this future. But, um, yeah, like I think. With regard to Thibodeau, I, you know, he, he, he reminded me of like a pro wrestler. <laughs> like he was saying things after the draft and really Sauce Gardner too. Like these guys, you don't, I mean, yeah, guys are brash. You see that a lot, but like most of these guys that people don't really uh, grasp, like a lot of these guys just don't say anything, you know, or yeah. they just, you know, they stick to the company line. And, um, but you know, this, you know, Thibodeau, especially, you know, and Gardner too, but you know, that's kind of a throwback to like the very brash eighties type player. And, um, you know, I wonder if people who've covered the giants for a while will see some, maybe like LT in this kid. Uh, now perhaps, and I would hope not the very bad parts of LT, but, (laughs) and certainly the, you know, I'm sure they would hope the great on field parts, but just that, that, um, critics be damned kind of approach. Um, and so that, you know, I think it'll be fun for us to, to cover and look i mean he's gonna have hiccups as a rookie they all do um now will his personality help him get through that or will that uh you know exacerbate his problems i think that'll be interesting to see you know it's, it's funny one of the interesting things that came out like the combine when he talked about um how the giants were like giving him a hard time um and one of the things that he said they asked him was like if you're if you're going a bunch of games in a row without a sack are you gonna be able to handle the like the New York media and the, and the fan base on the radio when they start criticizing you and stuff. And I think we'll find out pretty quickly because I, there's got, he's a rookie. Like those guys hit a wall unless they're freaks of nature, like miles Garrett or whatever. So um, that'll be interesting. And another part that, that kind of came out in the last week is that Michael Strahan has, was already becoming a mentor for him. Um, and Michael Strahan, which somebody remarked, cause I obviously didn't cover the team back then, but when he first, when he was a rookie, I think he came in and like guaranteed he was going to get 10 sacks and then he barely played his rookie year. And then he came, he bounced back from that pretty good too. So even if it doesn't go well the first year, I mean, social media is different now and, and all that stuff, but um, it, it is for someone like came on Thibodeau who kind of like one of the knocks against him is that he's thinking about his brand and the off football, off the field stuff. Like Michael Strahan might be the best mentor possible for him. Yeah. Because, you know, similar personalities, like you said, and obviously Strahan can help this kid kind of navigate a big market and maybe tell him, Hey, this is what I did. You know, this is what I, this is the, the things that worked well for me. And these are the things that didn't. And I, you know, I talked to Strahan last year at charity golf event for Jim Fossil. Um, and, and I think I was, I was talking about Leonard Williams. And so Strahan's kind of been through it all and he can tell guys like Thibodeau or Leonard Williams about, uh, his experiences. And, and one thing he was talking about, um, was how after he signed his big contract Strahan, and then he came out, and, uh, you know, it struggled initially, right, in his first year of the big contract, and then really took a little while to put it all together. 
um, you know, his advice to Leonard Williams was kind of indirectly just with talking to me was uh, ignore the noise and just keep your head down and know that you are in the contract, whatever, whatever. So he's had so many NFL experiences, so many life experiences. I mean, you talk about obviously some of the personal things Strahan has been through with his very messy divorce and the spotlight that he's a good mentor for these guys in so many regards, right? He's, he's really run the gamut of, of, of the full NFL slash New York slash life slash drama type experiences um, that it's, it'll be, a, it'll be a good resource for, for these guys, um, whether that's Kayvon Thibodeau or what, Leonard Williams. And so, um, but look, ultimately it, a lot of it depends on how coachable he is day in and day out. And, and if these things about his mercurial effort, up and down effort wind up being true or not. I mean, that's up to him to, to prove. And he really even said it like it's, you know, put up or shut up time. All the, all that other stuff is history now. For sure. Um, we can talk, we don't need to talk that much about Evan Neal. Cause I think it's pretty straightforward. You know, he's, he's a high character kid and he's going to fill a need that they've had to fill for a long time. But I, so I, when he was drafted, I like looked up who their like, number one right tackle has been for the last decade since they won the Super Bowl. And I just want to read the names off for you. Cause it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> Nate Solder, Cam Fleming, Mike Remmers, Chad Wheeler, Bobby Hart, Marshall Newhouse, Justin Pugh, and Sean Locklear. Wow. A real who's who. Grim. Uh, <laughs> uh, right tackle. So that, that position, I mean, the offensive line, as everybody knows, we've written and talked about it a million times, as has everybody. Um, it's been a disaster. But I think the right tackle position in particular has been an issue for, like, forever. Like, they just have not had a good right tackle. for. And Matt Parrott, they dr- drafted to become that guy, and he just wasn't, wasn't the guy. And so now you – you can feel pretty good about how you have left tackle and right tackle locked down. You figure out the rest, you know, hope Mark Lewinsky can bring some solid stuff. I, I had somebody tell me a year or two ago, one of my many stories I wrote about the offensive line, that you only really, in the modern NFL, he, he said you only need three quality offensive linemen, and then you just figure out the rest with the other two guys. You fit, you just mix and match and whatever. But if you have three, then you can feel pretty good. So they have two. You hope Lewinsky's another one, and then – you know, you kind of hope that one of these million left guards they have now or John Feliciano at center can be the can be another quality player. But if you can just have three, then I mean, they haven't had three in a while. So and the offensive line has been, you know, I, I think we're reaching a point where, you know, at least on paper, like Daniel Jones is going to have less excuses for the, his supporting cast uh, in theory. I mean, the receivers might still be a mess and who knows about the tight ends and Saquon and all that. But uh, if, if he if the offensive line can keep him on his feet, that's progress. Oh, 100 percent. I think if this if this starting five can stay healthy and now there are obviously some question marks, you know, it's obviously a better group than last year. Low bar, clearly. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Feliciano is center. Um, I don't think that you know, he's going to be the center, but is that's not necessarily a great, um, a great option. Uh, so you have probably two and a half really solid guys, perhaps right now, whether you, you know, Thomas and then Neil, what can he bring you as a rookie Glowinski and then left guard, like who knows? I mean, just writing that, writing the story coming out of the draft after the giants, uh, in the third round, uh, picked Josh Zudu. I think, I'm yeah, I think that's how you say it from North Carolina. Yeah. The 67th overall pick fourth, third pick of the third round, um, he'll have a great shot to be the starting left guard. Now, look, that means you're going to be starting two rookies on your offensive line, um, which could could certainly have some growing pains, but there are not a lot of other great options there at left guard. Um, And so there are certainly question marks still, but I think far fewer. Um, And then in terms of the skill guys, 
again, it's a, it's still flawed, but you know, at, at no point is, you know, Daniel Jones is going to have to deal with a flawed roster, right? So it's, a, it's probably a little better. Um, and it's funny. We, we both, time to produce we, both, we both agree the team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who's going to be pretty bad this year, but I, this is probably the best situation he's been in if you combine coaching and offensive line. And he's going into the season with a healthy Saquon and a healthy Galladay. And yeah, Steph's I think not, the, Steph's not healthy, but yeah. So like in the biggest paper, issue is like, defensively. should be his best, his like best chance to succeed at least. Maybe it's not. I don't even know if you could say his best supporting cast. They've all been pretty bad. Um, but um, on paper, it looks like he should be. You know, we they should be able to get a proper evaluation of him, which is all that matters, really. Yep, exactly. Um, and and people have said like in the right situation he can be, you know, a, a more than capable starter. Now, is this an ideal situation? Not necessarily, but it, I would say it's definitely closer to being the right situation than it was before. And like you said, they should be able to get a good evaluation. And a lot of this team's problems, if you look at the roster, are are on defense. And now you know they do have some issues offensively, but I think uh, on a whole, um, one of the you know the bigger reason why the roster is so is so in dire situation is is defensively. Yeah, the defense is. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. So I, I'd, I'd say the the most controversial pick they had was in the second round when they picked Wondell Robinson from Kentucky. He's a five foot eight gadget receiver. They just picked a gadget receiver in the first round last year. Um, he's primarily a slot receiver. Uh, he was pretty pretty productive at Kentucky. He had like over a hundred catches, over a thousand yards. Um, I mean, I don't know. What, like, what did you make of that pick? It was surprising. There was a lot of receivers on the board. The Chiefs got a guy that'll probably start for them right away, uh, Sky Moore. There's an Alabama guy that was picked right after him. There's a bunch of guys. Like, I think Dane Brugler had him graded as, like, the 16th receiver, and there was, like, six or seven that were still on the board that ranked ahead of him. I mean, that's not the be-all, end-all. Everybody has their own board, obviously. But I don't know. That, that bit confused me in the moment. It, it makes more sense the more I've thought about it, that they were, like, looking for a certain type of player. I don't know if I necessarily would have picked him that early. But like, what would you make of that pick? Yeah, I think given the fact that you picked Kadarius Tony last year and that they're supposedly sticking with him, um, a little curious, uh, some redundancy there. Just like when people when they picked Tony, people said, "Look, some redundancy in the slot with Sterling Shepard. Obviously, Shepard's not going to be around for a little while because of his latest injury." And so it just you you mentioned it, I'll, and I'll flesh out the detail. They pick up pick Wandale Robinson at forty three. So at 44, a receiver goes Mechie from Alabama. At 50, a receiver goes Tyquan Thornton uh, from Baylor to the Patriots. 52, a receiver, George Pickens. 53, another receiver, Alec Pierce. And then 54, Sky Moore, you mentioned it. So after they pick him at 43, there were five receivers that went from 44 to, to 54 in that in those next picks. So. Time will tell if they made the right call or if passing on the and any of those five guys was was a mistake. And um, the size is obviously uh, you know something that he's going to have to overcome um, in the NFL. And certainly, small guys have thrived at times in the league and and in Brian Dable's system. I think that the, you know that that's what they're looking at. Um, but they didn't really. They could have addressed corner there, right? On paper, you yeah. think like 
why not pick a well, corner sorry, there? By the way, they they traded so they had a chance to pick Kyler Gordon or uh, Andrew Booth, who were both projected like first round guys, but they traded back twice to pick up more picks. What you get, you want more bites at the apple. That yeah, they never used to do that with Gettleman. They just wanted to take the guy that they liked. Um, so I think it was smart to trade back. But yeah, corner was especially when you just assume Bradbury's gone. The corner is like the biggest weakness on the roster all of a sudden, which is pretty crazy to think about. Considering, I mean, I think they're playing probably the long game here. Yeah. I think they're looking at yeah. it and saying, we're not going to be able to address every position yeah. this off season. Um, and so, yeah, maybe we just, you know, roll with Adoree Jackson and Aaron Robinson as our corners this year after they get rid of Bradbury. And, and you know what, maybe that's not ideal, but if Adoree Jack or if Aaron Robinson winds up being really good, then somehow then, that's great. If not, yeah. then they address it next off season. Um, but I, you know, I just don't, I think that they look at it and, and realize that this is going to be a long game approach, which I can understand. And, and I think, you know, that's smart um, because it's not that they're throwing away this year, but it's a process. Right. And so this, this won't be an overnight process. So it's about multiple drafts for this team, not necessarily just one. Yeah. I think that's uh, that makes sense. I'll, I'll just run through their picks um because there's some that I, I thought were interesting um you mentioned azudu he i think he was projected around that range so that wasn't really considered a reach the the next round I mean, or later in the third round they picked cordell flot the a slot another slot corner from lsu so that's three straight years they've picked a nickel corner darnay holmes aaron robinson flot i would say this doesn't necessarily uh, bode well for darnay's stance with the new coaching staff but um i think he's shown some stuff in the past so maybe he can stick around his depth at least they got a tight end in the fourth round which they need real badly, Daniel Bellinger, 6'6", 255. He's known for blocking. Um, I think they clearly were just like looking for a guy who could be a solid blocker. He's shorthanded. He doesn't really drop it. Because um, I, I don't I don't get the impression that Dayball intends to like feature the tight end very heavily in his offense. They they signed Ricky Seals-Jones and Jordan Aikens, like minimum salary deals. And those guys, you know, they're not, you know, they're not going to, you know, scare any defenses. So. I, I think they wanted to get a guy who could they just lock in. This guy, I could, wouldn't be surprised if he was starting pretty early. Um, got Dane Bell in safety out of Iowa in the fourth round. They had only had two safeties before the draft. So um, I, w- I wonder if they're going to sign a veteran at some point, but clearly they want to play Bell. And they got that dude McFadden that I mentioned earlier. He's like the best blitzing linebacker in the draft. Got Dave DJ Davidson, a nose tackle. I think he's 25 years old already, or he's turning 25. So that, that was an interesting choice. Um in the fifth round, they got Zudu's teammate Marcus McKethan, a huge. He's like six seven and like three forty uh, guard that they're going to develop. They're just gonna, they're swinging a lot a lot of guards. They signed like a bunch of veterans this offseason too, and they got a linebacker Darian Beavers in the sixth round who was graded from what I saw like a third or fourth round pick. So they need linebackers, they need offensive linemen. So I think they they hit that pretty hard. But um, like coming out of the draft, I would say the biggest need right now or the biggest weakness is the secondary. I mean, right now, if the season was starting today, their starting corners would be Aaron Robinson and Dory, or I mean, assuming Bradbury's gone flawed in the, in nickel. And then you have Xavier McKinney and Julian Love as your safeties. Like, and you're, and you're playing in a division where the Eagles just loaded up and got AJ Brown to go with <laughs> Devonta Smith. You have the Cowboys passing offense. Washington has Terry McLaurin still like, I, they're, they're going to get lit up unless, you know, and, and it's funny because, Everybody talks about an important part of Wink Martindale's defense is having great coverage on the back end, guys that can kind of defend on an island so he can blitz like crazy. But he doesn't really have the guys on the back end, so it's going to be interesting to see how they approach their defense this year. Yeah, I mean, you can't blitz a ton unless you have guys you can trust in man-to-man coverage. I mean, you can, but you're 
could be terrible, but, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, do they have that? Do, do you, there's so many questions, even to Dory Jackson who, who thrived last year did, did well, right. At least. And, but he wasn't the number one corner. Now he's going to draw number one assignments. Um, it's because again, it's not like they drafted, um, sauce Gardner, um, or another cornerback there, um, in, in, in at number five, it would have, like I said, it would have been interesting to see if the Jets take Thibodeau, would the Giants have taken Sauce Gardner? And then it's a little yeah. bit of a different conversation here. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think Darnay Holmes and, and Flott will be an interesting conversation and competition there in the slot. But uh, do you trust either of those guys to be your starting slot? Do you trust Aaron Robinson in the move from the slot to the outside? Do you trust uh, Adoree Jackson drawing number one receiver assignments. I mean, all big, big questions. And then, you know, with Logan Ryan, who look, I mean, I don't think Logan Ryan was never as good as his, his name or, um, let's say his, uh, his own perception of himself perhaps was like, if you look at the metrics, he just, he wasn't that good for the giants and his contract yeah. was a terrible idea. He was never a really productive player for the giants, but yeah. That goes down as one of the worst contracts Gettleman signed, which is saying something, by the insane. way. Insane. I mean, yeah, like, you know, maybe he was a good talker. Well, he was a good talker and uh, and a good locker room guy in spots. So, but, but, but the production was, it never warranted the contract. And, um, and the only curious part about them getting rid of him is that it didn't really save much cap space. And also the fact that there probably is a downgrade to Julian Love or whoever probably is going to be the safety and it's Julian Love at this point. Um, because like you said, it's not like they can necessarily trust Belton uh, to be a starter there uh, immediately. So yeah, there's a drop off I'm sure from Logan Ryan t- t- to Julian Love, uh, even though Logan Ryan was a pretty flawed player at this point in his career. And so there's just so many questions across the board. I think if you look at McKinney, the guy who's returning in his spot, like in his original spot, because even Jackson will be the number one corner at this point. Um, he's the guy with the, with the fewest question marks, um, considering how he played last year and considering the fact that he's coming back right in that same spot, uh, where he was last year. So, uh, I just don't see how a team, a defense and a team, no matter who their defensive coordinator is, can thrive in today's NFL when you have that many issues in your secondary. Maybe they'll surprise us, but on paper, it just looks pretty dire right now. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of alluded to Bradbury. I figure we, we can talk about this briefly because it's kind of the same thing that we've been saying forever. But um, I guess it's a little different because the draft came and went. But it, it seems pretty clear what happened here is that, you know, at the start of free agency, by keeping Bradbury, he was guaranteed $2 million more of his salary, which made it so it'll be less money they save uh, when they trade him. But Joe Shane clearly didn't want to just get rid of him for nothing. So he held on to him in hopes that he could find a team to trade for him. I think ultimately his any team that required him would have to pay a $13.4 million salary. Nobody was willing to pay that. It doesn't sound like he's gotten any actual offers. Maybe He said he's gotten phone calls. Even he admitted there just wasn't any new interest during the draft. The fact that they can't even get like a seventh round pick for him, I can think kind of says everything that teams are just kind of assuming they're going to cut him um, or they don't value him in a way that they feel like they should or even want to trade for him. So they're, what they're, is it going to wind up happening and is they're going to cut him? Because, you know, number one, he's not viewed as a good fit in this defense. Maybe if he's not a long-term guy that you want to keep, then you got to get rid of him now. Let these young guys figure their thing out. You know, I've asked, had a lot of people ask me, why don't they just extend him or restructure him? 
well, you, if you don't want to keep them now, then you're not going to extend them. They haven't approached them by an extension. And then the restructure is not going to happen because then you're just kicking a bunch of money down the road and they need as much money as they can get in the next couple of years to completely change this roster. So they're going to cut them at some point, I imagine pretty soon, because they're going to have to start signing their rookies. I guess they don't have to sign them until training camp technically, but I think you ideally you have them signed before that. So uh, you cut them and you save $12 million. Um, you get closer to the salary cap, and I imagine they're going to move on from Darius Slayton at some point too. Save two and a half because you don't you don't pay almost three million dollars to a number five receiver usually. Although they did kind of do that to John Ross last year. So, um, and, and so yeah, so I think that's where things stand in the Bradbury situation, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know if yeah. you have any opinions about. Well, that. yeah, I, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that they need the cap space, and 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 you know, people are, it's not necessarily, it's not a hard decision to cut him. I mean, if they, so if they trade him, that's 12.1 that they free up. Um, and let's just presume they don't trade him, but if they cut him right now, it's 10.1 that they free yeah. up. If they cut him. Oh, yeah. Post- yeah. I got it. I got it backwards. Yeah. If they cut, yeah, him, if they cut him and they, they need the cap space. Like that's why people say, why don't you just restructure him or whatever? Um, because it's not about this year. It doesn't really, yeah. let's be honest. It's not, they don't yeah, need him. If you restructured him, then you, you bring him back because in that scenario, you think, okay, we are good enough to win some games this year. They're so not. we need our best corner, yeah. but they're not good enough to win games this year. So why would you keep him? Right. If, if you, if you don't, if you don't think you're a year away and they're not a year away, you know what exactly? Why would you keep yeah. him? If it, the combination of them being far away from winning and him not being like a long-term fit like that, it's just an obvious get rid of him. It's unfortunate because he's a good player. Like he had two good years, made the Pro Bowl, fell off a little bit last year. But I mean, that he was getting targeted a lot, and I don't know if the defense around him was that great either. But um, so it's unfortunate. And as I, I, I just thought earlier, and I, I think I saw somebody tweet something about it, and I thought about it. There's a, there's a decent chance that the Eagles try and pick him up, which makes it even hurt, makes it hurt even a little more because they need a corner, and he fits their defense. So if you cut him for nothing and the Eagles pick him up and then you have to see James Radbury for the next two years or whatever, like that's that's gonna be tough, a tough pill to swallow. But this is it's this is Dave Gellman's fault. Um it's funny because he was like the best signing he probably had uh, as the GM. And then because of all his other bad decisions, they had to restructure him twice last year, which made his cap hit twenty one million dollars this year, whatever it is. And so you can't keep a guy for twenty million dollars if you're not gonna win. It's not doable have, for their cap. When you, have, when, when you have cap hits of Galladay and Leonard Williams already so high. And you don't want to restructure Kenny Galladay because then that would mean you'd have to keep him next year or cut him for nothing. So it's like this this whole like puzzle piece moving situation just because of how much they had to restructure guys last year because of that disaster spending spree they went on last year. Yeah, and and, and they just mathematically cannot keep him. Like we were talking about, like why wouldn't they keep him on an extent and restructure him? That you know you explain that, but like they they, they the twenty one million dollar number they can't do it. They can't keep him. I mean, they, right now they're about six million dollars in cap space. They need I think like ten or eleven to pay their draft picks. Um, so they they cannot even pay their draft picks right now. Um, and even yeah. if they get rid of Darius Slayton, um, that'll give them some wiggle room. So they're gonna have to do both. They're gonna have to get rid of Slayton probably by cutting yeah. him. I mean, unless Shana said he doesn't want to kick the bucket down the road. So the only one you'd want to do that with is Leonard Williams, which if they restructure him, I think his cap hit next year would get above $30 million. Yeah, which is, yeah, right. So, like, the one thing to watch is if they post-June 1 cut James Bradbury, like either designate Mm -hmm. him a post-June 1 cut or... So So you spread the dead cap to next year kind of thing? Isn't that how that works? Yeah, so essentially, like, if they cut him right now and... and If they cut him right now, they could they could designate it post-June cut, right? Even yeah. though it's right now. Um, 
or they could wait till after June one and make it an actual June one cut. I guess they technically don't. I guess they tech, maybe that's what they will do because you don't really technically have to cut them yet because they don't need to, need to sign the rookie class. So yet. the difference there is a savings of instead of ten one this year, they would save eleven five. So I think that probably is what they're going to wind up doing. They could yeah. cut them post June one, either actually post June one or designate them a post June one cut, which means you don't get the cap money until after June one, and like you just said, you don't need it until after June one anyway to pay your draft picks. So it would be an 11, five savings. And then the dead money you keep, you take on next year would be minimal. It'd be like 1.3 instead of, instead of no dead money next year. Yeah. So um, it's just move. It moves the numbers around a little. I think that's, that's what they're going to wind up doing. So really the, the savings will be 11, five um, and not 10, one. And uh, they, they badly need that. And so, um, he, he can still play. Um, and we'll be, like you said, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see if he winds up with the Eagles. Yep. Um, or before we go, just like looking ahead, just what, like stuff that's coming. Um, by the time some people listen to this, you're going to find out if the giants are in London, which Daryl and I are personally pushing for, for selfish reasons. Um, they're going to, this, the NFL schedule will be announced next week. So by the time we do the next pod, we'll do like a game by game prediction thing. I imagine. Um, and the Giants have like rookie minicamp coming up, OTAs, James Bradbury decision. Uh, we'll see, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal and pads for the first time, which is going to be interesting. Um, other than that, there's not really that much going on coming up. So, and, and J- Joe Shane is going to be making some additions to his staff. I imagine I, he'll probably bring in some scouts and, and personnel people from his days with the B- Bills and the Dolphins. Um, and I, I I'm, it's possible to start letting some other people go too. We let go Chris Pettit, as I mentioned earlier, Kyle O'Brien. I think he might have let go another scout. I think I saw surfacing around Twitter somewhere. So um, he's making changes. He's making putting a stamp on the front office. I think um, you know it's gonna be interesting. We might have to look back on this draft and be like, how much can we like fully? It's not quite the Joe Douglas situation because he had months to scout these guys. But like next year, at this time next year, he'll have his entire own staff scouting for the entire season. And it'll be interesting to see how much different that makes his approach next year. Yeah, hundred percent. So it'll be it'll be a fascinating year off season for him next year after dealing with a lot of the challenges this off. Yeah, and having some money to actually spend, and not have to you know pinch pennies everywhere. Um, all right, we'll we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we'll get hit you guys back in another week or two, another episode. And uh, thanks for listening.